Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. pick up in verse 18 where we left off, um, Matthew 13, 18. Again, what, what is the context of this? Well, Christ has been rejected by the Pharisees, rejected by the religious leaders of Israel, basically rejected by Israel. And so now he starts teaching them in parables and he's explaining in these parables the kingdom of God. And we have the parable of the sower. Now he explains at verse 18, Here then the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of this world, the word, immediately he falls away. But... As for that which is sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and in another thirty. So Christ explains the parable of the soil. And what is the parable of the soil about? What's the main theme? Parable of the soil, the main theme is about the kingdom, receiving it. Yeah, I mean, that's the interpretation, but the main thing is the soil, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, the parable of the soil is about the soil. And what does the soil represent? The heart. The heart. And Christ illustrates this by saying there's four different kinds of soil that the seed falls on. What is the seed? The Word. The Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. So the seed is thrown onto the soil, onto the heart. And there's different responses. One is a hard heart. That's ground that's been trampled down. It's hard. And before the seed can sprout, what do the birds do? They come and eat it. Satan snatches the word. There's, it just bounces off. It bounces off. And, you know, there are some people you talk to about spiritual things, and it's like talking to a brick wall. It just bounces off. There's no... There's nothing there at all. And then there's the rocky ground. What's the rocky ground? Well, they'd be very familiar with that in Palestine. It was a layer of dirt on top of rock, which is just below the surface. And, of course, the seed would sprout up, but when it tried to grow roots, what would happen? Right. So when the heat came out and the sun got hot, it withered away. Um, there are people that uh, hear the word of God with great joy. They come down the aisle, they're bawling their eyeballs out. They, you think they're the next great Billy Graham or whatever, and then a year later they've all been fizzled out. Why? Because they had a little bit of trouble come their way. No depth. And then there's the thorns. What does the thorns do? It chokes it out. And looks what it says here. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. What is the charismatic church after? Riches and the things of this world. So what kind of soil are they? The thorny. Because when God doesn't deliver what they want Him to deliver, what happens? Their faith fails. Wait a minute, God's supposed to heal me, and he didn't. Henry Hinn said I was supposed to be healed of my disease, and I'm not. God must not love me. And then, of course, there's the word that falls on the good soil. So here's the question, and this is the interesting thing here. Is there any mention here about the skill of the sower? No. So when it comes to preaching the word of God or sharing our faith or whatever, 
some people say, well, you know, I'm not very good at that. I can't do it. It doesn't work. Look, it's not about you anyways. What's it about? It's about God and the heart. And if you throw the seed on the good soil, it will spring up. If you throw it on the bad soil, it will spring up. And you can be the most skilled sower on the planet. And if the seed you throw lands on hard ground, it ain't going to do anything. It's not going to do anything. Then he gives them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until harvest. At harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, Christ is talking about the kingdom of God. So, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. What's the kingdom of God like? What's the nature of the kingdom of God? What's it like? Well, in this case, the kingdom of God is like what? Like a field. It's like a field. And what happens in the field? Well, God sows good seed. But what does the enemy do? Those bad. Now, at, at first, can you tell the difference? No. No, because these are darnels. These are weeds that look just like wheat. In fact, until the fruit comes along, you don't even know that it's hard to tell the difference. And of course, when the grain starts to bud, what do the servants want to do? Let's get the weeds out of there. And what does the master say? No. Right. So what, what picture of the kingdom is this giving us? At the end, we don't get. But in the meantime, what do you have in the kingdom? You have good and bad. You have wheat and non-wheat. In the sphere of God's influence, you have good and bad. You have those that are true and those that are not. Can we necessarily tell the true from the false? No. no. Now, again, there there are some things that are giveaways, right? But I don't know who is really, truly 100% born again and who isn't. Right. I mean, there are some people I have a pretty good guess on, but I don't know for certain. And it's not my responsibility to know for certain because in the explanation of this parable later in the passage, who does Christ say are the reapers to gather the angels? The angels. Interesting is they take out all the bad first, too. Yeah. And the wheat is gathered into the barn. And we'll explain that in a minute. Then he told him another parable. Put another parable from the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants, becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. What's this talking about the kingdom? What's this saying about the kingdom? You think? It has far-reaching effect. It starts out very small. In fact, the mustard seed was the smallest of all food crop seeds. Tobacco's smaller, but tobacco's not a food crop. Mustard was a food crop. It's the smallest of all seeds. It starts out small, but when it's grown, it becomes so big that even birds come and nestle in the branches. The influence of the kingdom. And then he says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it all was leavened. What's this talking about with the kingdom? What's the picture here? It truly affects all of our lives. Yeah. Leaven in the Bible is not necessarily a picture of evil. It can be. It's often used that way. Evil. Of evil. Christ said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And Paul says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
But really what leaven is is a picture of influence. How is it a picture of influence? Well, in those days when you're going to make a loaf of bread, you would take a little piece of the bread that you've already made and put it in the new loaf and the yeast would multiply and would ferment the loaf. And what Christ is saying here is the kingdom of God has what? Far-reaching influence. It starts out small, but immediate, but it comes to a point where it's going to leaven three measures of meal. Three measures of flour is a lot of flour. And it's talking about the influence of the kingdom. The mustard seed says the kingdom starts out small, grows big. The parable of the leaven says the kingdom starts out without much influence and before long it gives great influence. And all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Why did Christ again speak to them in parables? Because they did not want to hear. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, uh, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Can I make an observation? Yes. An explanation? You know, we talked about parables just having a little simple meaning. He goes in great depth to describe all the aspects of that parable of the sower and what they meant. But what the parable of the sower... Or the weeds, rather. Yeah. The parable of the weeds and the parable of the sower are meant to teach a, a big picture item. You understand what I mean by that? It's to teach a big picture, a singular thought. What is the singular thought of the parable of the sower? If you boil everything down, what is the parable of the sower telling us? types of individuals that will be affected by the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. And, and the, they're going to react to it. Yeah. And, and the re response of people depends on what? The condition of their heart. The condition of their, that's the big picture. Now there's there's a lot of stuff that goes around that, but the big picture item that God is trying to, or Jesus is trying to teach is that the the person's response to the truth of the kingdom message depends on their heart. It's not the skill of the sower. It's not anything. It's what is the heart like. All right. So let's look at the parable of the weeds. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all cause of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He has ears to hear, let him hear. So if you were to look at the parable of the weeds, what is the big picture? Well, if you backed off 20,000 feet, yeah. he basically gave you... Uh, a view of of all time on earth while the kingdom's in existence. Yeah, and, and and in this time in the in the now again, what kingdom were Israel was Israelites looking at? They're looking for the physical kingdom, right? And Christ saying, "No, the physical kingdom is postponed. There's going to be a time when we have this kingdom that I'm talking about here. It's not the visible kingdom, but with inside this kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, what do you have existing?" Right now, in the world. Right now, we have good people that are Christians in this kingdom, and we also have people that are not. Yeah. And who's going to do the separation? God is. God is going to do the separation. So the big picture point here is in the interim form of the kingdom. What is the kingdom like? It is going to consist of both good and evil people. God knows who they are. We don't. It's not our job to root them out. But what's going to happen at the end of the age? God's going to do the separation. And what happens to the tares? They're thrown into outer fire. What's that a picture of? Hell. 
You got a Cheshire Cat smile on your face, Gary. No, I was trying to think of a question there. I've been doing a lot of reading on the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the reasons we started this church was that I had made a decision personally that I was going to preach that message of the kingdom. And I've actually been doing a series on it now since we've been open. And I've been trying to question how I want to pose the question because I don't want to be confrontational. But at the same time, the message of the kingdom, I think, is very important because by, by God's word, we are to seek the kingdom first mm -hmm. and everything else. So let me ask my question. I'll make an observation, then I'll ask the question. It seems to me that in the God's plan of salvation for humanity, the kingdom is at the apex of that plan, and let me explain why, why I think that, or why I should think that. Because the Bible says, and this is the kingdom, it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the reality is we have an opportunity, and Christ preaches this message widespread in his teaching, that we have an opportunity to come to know God, to have a relationship with him, to come to that place where we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that he would manifest himself to us. And when you stop and think about it, right now, as we sit here, God is inside every born-again believer, mm -hmm. the person of the Holy Spirit. Yep. So when you think about it, God cannot give us I hope I can say this without sounding like a heretic. God cannot give us any more than he already has by giving us himself. Right. So the reality is the gospel of the kingdom is at that apex because it brings us back to that place where we can have a right relationship with God. Right. A real relationship with God. A relationship that is based on love and a realization that God loves us and that we come to that realization that we can love God through the work of that Holy Spirit in our hearts. That's what separates the true believer from the non-believer. And that's a Sermon on the Mount. And the kingdom life is, is that life that we now live in Christ, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it answers every need of our life. It answers every... And if you look at people, and I'm seeing this more and more as I preach, and as I teach, and as I listen to people talk to me, they're looking for something to satisfy that need in their life. They're looking for that deep-seated need in their heart and soul that only God can, can, mm -hmm. can meet that need. And that need is met when they begin to press into the kingdom. Right. That kingdom, and this is why, for me, it's the most important message we need to preach today. Because that, and I made this statement, and I hope it's a true statement. It's the thing that God has placed in the world today to sift out of the world the people that will receive him. The kingdom of God. And that's why I say it should yeah. be the apex. It should be what we talk about. It should be what we preach mm -hmm. about. It should be what we teach people to begin to strive to press into and teach them yeah. how to. And I told them, I, I wasn't taught that growing up in the church. I was taught, do this, don't do that. But nobody says, this is a relationship. This is what you need to do to cultivate the relationship. This is what you need to do to not hurt that relationship. Yeah. Well, our job is to call people to the kingdom of God, to submit themselves to the lordship and authority yes. of Christ. To be part of his kingdom, his true kingdom. And of his kingdom, though. All right. But what he's saying is in the sphere of his kingdom, the invisible kingdom, of which, is, is God king today? Sure he is. Sure he is. So this world is technically part of his kingdom in the sense that he's the king, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a day of grace and he has not. Right. He has not overwhelmed us by his 
manifestation of his glory yet. Right, right. But, but we're, we're, yeah, we, but we are, every human being that exists today is in the kingdom in the sense that they are alive in this world over which Christ and God is king. But they're not part of the kingdom in the sense they are a citizen of the kingdom. That's right. That's a difference. I can go to Britain and I can be in the kingdom of Britain, but I cannot, I don't, I might not necessarily be a citizen of the kingdom of Britain. And that might be the picture to see here. We are to call people to become a citizen of the kingdom. What was the Sermon on the Mount? Christ is saying, the citizen of my kingdom looks like this. That's right. This is what they look like. And Christ here is saying that in this kingdom, the sphere of God's influence, there are true citizens and there are false ones. And sometimes you can't tell the difference. But there comes a, there's coming a day when God is going to do the ultimate sifting. And only those people who are truly born again, who truly have the relationship with God, who have, who have submitted themselves to the Lordship of Christ, only they are part of that kingdom. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? This was early in his ministry. He said, The days coming when you'll not worship in Jerusalem are on this mountain. For God is a spirit, and those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Yeah. I think when he came, he came to change everything. Yep, he did. And, and personally, if you have this opportunity... What else is there? Mm -hmm. And what Christ is trying to do here too, and I know we have a, a difference of, of view on this. Because you, you say it's not either or, it's and. It's a both and. But, but I the, but the from this perspective, why would the Jews want Palestine for when they could have God? Yeah. Well, the, the problem with the what Pharisees... The yeah. But see, the Pharisees were keyed in on the physical... Kingdom, yeah, and they missed that, and they, they missed, missed the point. they missed the what the what the Jesus what makes the physical right kingdom the blessed kingdom is the hearts of the people in it. And it's not just a political structure that they were looking. They were looking for the political structure. Why do we want politics? Though, you know, when we have God. He says, "Be in the world, but not of the oh. world." We're we're sojourners. This is not our home. Oh, for me. I'm not looking for the physical kingdom in the sense that it was promised to me. I'm looking for a new heaven and new earth where it dwells righteousness. That's what I'm looking for. But, but, but you still got to deal with what we, we can't slog through this. We'll never get done with this. But I do think it's a both and. But what Christ is really hitting him on at here, saying you're missing the both and, you're just thinking it's the one and not the other. I'll make one more statement. You're thinking it's the physical kingdom and it's not at all a spiritual kingdom. And I'm telling you, you're missing the point. I'll make one more statement, then I'll, I'll be quiet. If you look at the parable of the weeds, though, Christ backed out 20,000 feet, and he says, this is what's going to happen during this, this age, mm -hmm. which means at the end of the age, when he comes again, then there's going to, the, the just and the unjust are going to... There's going to be a separation. There's going to be a major separation. Yep. And, you know, he, he didn't say nothing about all the other things that we're looking at at the end times. No, he, he, he didn't. just looked at it from this perspective. Yeah. And so really, if that was his perspective, that should be our perspective. Yeah. Well, I, it is my perspective. I think he, I, I don't think Christ said everything there was about the kingdom. He's making a point here. He's trying to make a singular point here. Because I think you can make the case that he does argue for the literal kingdom for Israel at some point. But that's, that's not what you see here. You don't see that here. What do you see here? You see in the interim time. That's why I call it the apex. Yeah, we are, we, well, we're 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 told to call people to the kingdom. I mean, you're you're absolutely right, Gary. Your job as a pastor is to call people to become citizens of the kingdom of God. That's your job. But he only supposed to tell. He can't, you, well, Gary can't make him a citizen. The best you can do is give him the message because it's the heart that's going to make them believe or not. It's going to be their heart. And in these last days, we need to preach that even more so. Yes. People need to get grounded so that when these events are taking place that Christ said is going to happen as the days draw shorter and closer to the end, 
the church is going to be strong. Yeah. And the church is not doing that. No, we're not. We're not. And, and I'll be honest with you. I'm, I will say, I will tell you like I think it. I think when we look at all the stuff that's going on in the world and we ooh and ah about Israel, we ooh and ah about what's going on in the Middle East, we're missing the point that we need to be preaching the kingdom. I mean, if you see the storm coming, well, I, I, the storm's coming, we got to do what's necessary to get the church. Well, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one because I think... We focus it, too much on, and they're focusing on the healing. It, 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 yeah, yeah. They're they're and they're on, not preaching the kingdom. We focus on what happening over in that country. What we can't fix all of that stuff. We, that, well, that's the problem. That's right. And he, what, is, what does I the Bible that. say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and, and all, all these, these other things will be added unto you. you. Yes. What's the first list that we need to get on? We need to seek, seek the kingdom. kingdom. Yeah, we need to seek the kingdom. And, and the problem is when you have when you go to the Zondervan bookstore, the family bookstore, and you got book after book. Here's who the Antichrist is. This yeah, is when Jesus yeah, is coming yeah. back. You're right. missing the point of why God gave That's us right. prophecy. But he do, gave do us we prophecy. Need to worry about who the no, is no. The side. no. We need to get in the kingdom. Why no, we to worry about all this? we don't. It's speculation. I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail it, what, what you have is you have people. That, that are intrigued by the, the, the spectacular. Uh, they want to figure out who the Antichrist is. They want to figure out when Christ yeah. is coming back. Christ told us, the only thing Christ told us about Christ coming back is that he is coming back, coming back. and you need to be ready at all times, so you're ready at that time. And he's saying, don't go trying to figure out when I'm coming or what's going on or who the Antichrist is. I mean, I know the general, I have a general picture of what's going to happen. But that's all I've got. I don't have the play-by-play. -play. All right? It's sort of like, maybe a rough way to do this, it's sort of like at the beginning of the baseball season, God gives you, says, uh, the Yankees are going to win the World Series. All right, I know the ending. Now, how the Yankees get there and who they beat and what's the score and, and what happens on this game and who's in the... I, he didn't give me all of that. He didn't give me all of the details. He gave me the end product. And that's what we need to focus on. You want me to, I'll make another observation and I'll be quiet. <laughs> you promised before, but... I, know, uh, I mean, you, you got me going. Christ spoke on the kingdom nonstop. Oh, he did. He spoke on it in the beginning of his ministry. He spoke on it in the middle of his ministry. He spoke of it after his resurrection. He spoke of it continually. And I, I and personally, I think it's the message of the hour. And maybe this is just what well, I, what I, I, I think. I, I mean, it's right up there next yeah. of salvation. Well, because salvation people, is. A lot of people are saying yes on the card and going home and thinking they're ready. And you know what? They're, they're part of those people that's on the rocky ground. Are they the part of those people that are on the thorny ground? Yeah, and they're not even. That's all they got. All I know is I'm on my. What is now. what is the eternal state? The eternal state is when Christ hands over the kingdom to the Father, and all is in all. What kingdom is that? The kingdom of God. That's right. It is a kingdom. That that that's the grand. Now that kingdom morphs and takes different shapes and forms along the way, and that that's where our discussion lies. But the fact that there's this eternal kingdom of which we're all a part of. And the way to get in it is how? Through faith alone. It's a relationship with God. That's what we're called to call people to. To submit to Jesus Christ as their Lord. That's being part of the kingdom of God. And Christ said, you're either part of the kingdom of God or you're not. What is inside the kingdom? Inside the kingdom are all the good people. What's outside the kingdom? Wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's right. All right, and what do you find when you get to Revelation? You find the Jerusalem, the holy city. You find the eternal state with God in, in the kingdom of God. And outside are what? All the adulterers and murderers and fornicators and thefts and thieves and liars. They all have their part in what? The lake of fire. That's right. So you get one or the other. It's calling people to the kingdom. I mean, you're right. You know, you know you're in it when God's working in your heart. Right. Yeah. And transforming you from that old person that you mm -hmm. once were into the image of Christ. 
Then looks at verse 44, moving on. Okay. Great discussion, though. I mean, Gary, we, we agree a lot more than we disagree. Oh, yeah, I know that. All right. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. What's this a picture of? Yeah. No, he's working in a field. Oh, but he found it. Yeah. And he keeps it for himself. He buys it up. How, how does he get it? <clears throat> he purchases it. With what? Because it was in the field. Everything he had. In those days, where did you hide your treasure? In the, in the dirt. Yeah, you'd dig a hole or, you know, you'd, you'd bury the treasure. So he found somebody else's treasure? Yeah, he found somebody else's treasure. He found a treasure. And, you know, wars and all that going on, you know, it might have it been there. Nobody knew, who, you know, where it was. Now, did the guy who owned the field know that the treasure was there? No. No, because what would he have done? He had dug it out before he sold the field, right? Right. So what did the guy do? Now, what is this picturing? Someone that's seen the value of the kingdom. And what did they do? They were willing to arrange all their possessions, sell everything, just to get it. Right. It's the value. Now, this guy was not out looking for the treasure, was he? No, he just found it. He just happened to stumble over it. This is a picture of people, there are people in the world, that they're doing their own thing, they're living their own way, and all of a sudden, one day, boom, they see the treasure of the kingdom. And the value, and what do they do? They sell everything for that. This is abandonment. See? Now, some people don't like that. They like to... They like the concept, and I would taught the concept, and, and there's truth to it, but you got to understand what's being going on here. They say, well, salvation is free. You just accept it by faith. You know, that's, there is no cost to you. Is that true? Yeah. Yo. What you said, theoretically, <laughs> yes. Yo, it's a yo. Pay for it. Yeah. But I'll tell you, you'll give up everything. It's going to cost you everything. It will cost you everything. It's valuable. Yeah, you can't pay for it. But Christ said, if you're not willing to give up father, sister, mother, brother for me, go away. And again, 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 he chased people out that wanted to come to him on their terms. He chased them away. This here is showing the value. This is someone who is going along in life. They're not thinking of anything, and all of a sudden they stumble over this treasure of the kingdom of God, and they are so overcome with the value that they will liquidate all of their possessions to get it. They'll abandon all for that. And then the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had to buy it. In those days, the most valuable item of jewelry was the pearl. Why? It was rare, and they didn't have diving uniforms and diving suits, so they couldn't go down to the bottom of the sea to get them. So what's, what's this a picture of? I think it's, again, the value of the kingdom. But what's the difference in this one? This one is showing it as a beautiful pearl. It's something wonderful. These two parables are saying the same thing from a different perspective. It's the value of the kingdom. You're willing to sell everything. But what's the difference in the individuals? One knew. The one was looking for something. The other one wasn't. But when they both of them saw it, what were they willing to do? Sell everything. Sell everything. This is a merchant. This is a, this is a pearl merchant, and he finds a pearl of such value that he liquidates his entire holdings to get that one pearl. Some people are looking for something. They're looking for the hole in the heart. They're looking for something. And when they find Jesus Christ, yep, with the hole. And when they find that God fills it, what are they willing to do? They will, they will sell everything to get it. 
lay it all on the line. And see, here's the thing. Here's the thing to understand. Nothing you say or do will keep somebody who is elect out. Out. You can't foul it up. You're not going to get to heaven because say, you know, that one person almost came to know me, but if you would have just shut your mouth, they would have done it, but you had to go and spout some nonsense, and they're in hell because of you. No, it doesn't work that way. You can't keep somebody elect out. You can't take somebody who's not elect in. Your job is to do what? Toss the seed. What's God going to do? He's going to work over the heart. He's going to work over the heart. That's what God's got to do. You spread the seed. You sow the soil. Or sow the seed in the soil. But what are these two parables saying? Well, you know, again, the, the kingdom of heaven is of such value that when you see it and you understand the value, you go into sell-out mode. And see, that's the problem with the charismatic nonsense. You can have all your riches and God too. Um, one of the most beautiful illustrations I saw of this was down in, down at the at the T4G. I forget who was preaching. And he said, "Our problem is, you know, we want to hang on to our stuff. We want to hang on to our money, and you know, you know, we we got we got our money in our hands, and we're we're holding on to that. And what God wants us to do is He wants us to let go, so He can put His hand in our hand." Are you willing to let go of what you have? Because as long as you're holding on to that, he can't hold. But as soon as you let go, he can put his hand in there. And are you willing to sell off? Are you willing to give it up? It's not that God tells all of us to become paupers, and that's not the point. But that's what Paul said in Romans in, in Philippians three. He said. You know, I was a Hebrew, the Hebrew, I did this, I did that. You know, I had a list and arm long. You know, you could have told me why God should let me in. I could tell you why God owes it to me. And then I saw Christ and I realized that everything I was valuing was absolute human poop. And he said, you know what, I gave up all my poop for the excellency of knowing him. That's why. You give it up. And then he says the kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like a great net that's thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and set down and sorted the good in the containers, but threw the way the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be wailing, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. What's this a picture of? Well, in those days, you fished, you had fish nets. And the way this would work is you would have a, one part of the net anchored on the shore, and you'd maybe, row, these are huge nets, you'd row a couple hundred feet into the water in a boat, and then you'd row the boat over to the shore. And as the net hung down in the water, it would draw the fish in that area all in. So you got on shore, and then you drag this net up on shore, and what do you have? You had all the fish. And what happens when you have the fish? Well, you gather the good fish in the containers, and you throw the bad fish away. And so this is what's going to be at the end of the age. What's God going to do? He's going to send forth his angels. They're going to gather everybody together, and the, and the good fish is going to be what? Gathered into the kingdom. What's going to happen to the bad? Be tossed out in the outer darkness and fire where they'll be willing. Gnashing of teeth. Well, I mean, Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, did we not? Yeah. Did we not? Now, wait a minute. I, I went down to that big church in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where's my preacher at? Oh, you'll see him in just a minute. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm making a joke for today. No, it, it's 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 sad. It's sad. Most most people think that they're going to wind up in heaven. Yes, I do. And God's going to say, "Why should I let you in?" Well, I, I use the illustration. Let's say 
I get in my car and I drive to Washington. I don't know if I use the illustration here. I forget where I use these. I drive to Washington, D.C. and I go to the White House. And I knock on the door. Say, hey, I, I come to see Obama. Well, who are you? Well, I, I, I'm the head of the local Obama fan club. I, 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 in fact, one day a week, I spend time doing nothing but learning about Obama and hearing about what he's done. Um, I'm sorry, sir, your name's not on the, on the list. But, but, but I know all about Obama. I know when he was born. I know about his family. I know what he likes for dinner. I'm sorry, sir, your name's not on the, the list. Yeah, if you jump that list and go in anyway, you break the law, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> but see, that's what, now we laugh at that because we know, how is it that you get in to see Obama? Well, you got to have your name on the list. Or you don't get in. All right. But yet, most people today think that they're going to go to heaven and because they went to, you know, their weekly God fan club meeting, or they were even the president of their local God fan club, and because they know about God a little bit, that somehow God owes them an entree. But the thing of it is, then who is failing? Then who is failing if the people is not Understanding what they're supposed to do. Both. The shepherd and the sheep. Yeah. Now. There's too much Democrat in you. Have itching ears. There's too much what? Democrat in you. Why? All right. Because, because you want to say it's not that person. God holds every individual responsible. Now, now look. In his fairness. In his fairness. He's going to go a lot harder on the people that should have said something, isn't he? Well, I'm trying to say something for them. If, 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 okay, so if they go into Bible study and they and they go into church, what else? I mean, I know there's, I know what else you have to do, but if they're not getting it, there's going to be some people when they stand before God. Some of the things that they have done, some of their works, will be tried by fire and they'll be fail and they'll be burned up, but they'll be saved. You, you they had the right. Heart, you, and they were right with God. You, no? come, you come the way of the cross. That's right. The way of the cross leads home. And you don't get there any other way. And whether the reason you don't get there is because you were taught that that's not the way you go there or because you knew it and rejected it, whatever the reason, you are either coming the way of the cross or you're not. In America, there's enough fundamental Bible-believing churches. There's enough And you can't say... Programs that's being aired look, every day. Okay, so what? Tell me this: What should they do? What What should a Christian do? If a Christian is is going to Bible study, and they're going to Sunday school, and they're going to church, and they live in um, a respectable life, and what what else is there to do? Do they know God? That's right. Is their name on the list? Is their life bearing the fruit of the Spirit? That's really I mean, the true test. Yeah, and that, well, the whole if point is, say, if you say that life is barren, I mean, barren the fruit. If they're telling somebody about Christ, if they when you look at Joel Olstein, when you look at Joel Olstein, has he come through the narrow gate? See, I, I I see Joel Olstein a little bit. I'm not one to watch TV, so I'm not the one. Yeah. So I I'm only going by Joel. Olstein. I seen him on there a couple of times, but I have never saw him through a whole sermon. I, I be thinking, Joel Olstein is. I be, I be watching yeah. about Andy Griffin. Yeah. Then I can help him. But I can't tell you about uh, Joel Olstein because I don't watch him. Well, that's good. It's a good thing you don't watch him. You know, so that's I a good thing you don't. The problem is. The problem is they don't come the way of the narrow gate. What is the narrow gate? So they are misleading people. Absolutely. So now they may be misled themselves, but they are misleading people. Every person is responsible. I mean, that's that's what Christ is saying. 
enter in at the narrow gate. Now that's talking to the individual. Why? Because at the broad gate, there's going to be people and prophets there who are saying, this is the way to heaven. Don't go the broad gate. Go the narrow way. How do you get on the narrow way and the narrow path? You do what he says in the first part of, as we talked about last week in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Are you broken over your sin? Yes. Do you see yourself as absolutely bankrupt before God? You have nothing of value. I have nothing. That's the way you come. When you look at a Joel Osteen, you're a good person, you're okay, your best you know, your best life now. There's no hard preaching on repentance. There's no hard preaching on sin. There's no hard preaching on abandoning yourself, giving it up all, up all to follow Christ. You can be a millionaire and a Christian at the same time. In fact, God wants your best life now. That is a false gospel. That is not the gospel. Christ is saying in, their, in these parables, you want me, you're going to find the, you're going to sell everything you have to get that one thing. Well, how come it isn't somebody in there contradicting me? I mean, it's got to be one. Because nobody, it's the nature of false prophets. And part of it is this. Here's part of it. Part of it is a judicial act of God on the part of the individual who won't want to hear. Why? Because what does it say in 1 Timothy? In the latter days, people are going to heap to themselves teachers who will scratch their ears. Right. They're going to find somebody that says the things they want them to say. How did Robert Schuller get the Crystal Cathedral going? He did a survey to find out what people wanted to hear in church, and he gave it to them. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, you're going to, I, I'm finding out even quicker. And Christ did not come... It will drive away people. Oh, you might have a bunch of people show up. You know, it's a new deal. But once you start preaching the truth, they're gonna, you're going to start losing them. They're going to start falling. What happened to Christ? He healed thousands. He raised the dead. He fed thousands. And at the, end of the, at the end of his life, the only one that really stuck with him was John. And then in the upper room, you have 120. Out of how many thousands of people that he touched? 120. That was it. And over 500 saw him at, after his resurrection. You heal 10 lepers and one guy comes back that and says thanks. Yeah, one come back. Only one out of 10. If anything, this shows you the hardness of man's heart. Yeah. Just an aside. Uh, last week I was surfing. I know I shouldn't have stopped the TBN. But Paul... And Andrew, Paul Jr. and Andrea Crouch were interviewing Victoria and Joel, and it was, you know, accolades and everybody, how they got the calling, and crowds were going crazy. I lasted about five minutes just to see what, you know, I, I like what MacArthur said at T4G, and I'm going to get the video because this is not on the online videos. But they, at, at what they have is at the end, this is really neat, at the end of each session, they sit down, all of them sit down for about 30 minutes, and they talk about, the sermon that was just preached, you know, they, oh, really? yeah, it's really interesting. But uh, they were talking about, I forget which one it was, I think it was Al Mohler's, they were talking about, and, and MacArthur says, you know, I believe if Jesus were to come back right now and make a whip, he'd head right over the TBN headquarters <laughs> and drive them all out. I mean, <laughs> there aren't too many real ones. I tell you one thing, I believe that wow. doctors practice their medicine like the preachers we have in our world today, are preaching, they'd be sued for malpractice. Yeah. Christ, what's Christ doing here? Christ is saying. Christ is saying, look, you want to follow me? Give it all up. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought salvation was free. Yes, it is, but it's costly. See, you can't have Christ in. And that's what he said. You can't have me and money. You can't have me and fame. You can't have me and... It's me. You abandon all. But you're not giving up anything that's worth anything. That's the, that's the other thing. Not only that, but anything you can take with you. Yeah, yeah. nothing you can take with you. Not a thing. Yeah. The smartest thing to do is let it all go. Yeah. I mean, was this the one where I told about the guy who... Who was told he's going to heaven? He could take one suitcase full of something. Remember, is this what I said last week? Yeah, you put gold. He liquidates everything and gets all these gold bars, and he winds up in heaven with his suitcase. And the guy says, "What are you bringing pavement up here for?" Uh, yeah. 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 Um, look, 
Christ said, you follow me, it will cost you everything. Because if you love me, you don't worry about the cost, do you? But see, what we have today is we have a Christianity that's in vogue today where you can be a Christian and a millionaire. In fact, God wants you wealthy. Look, I have wealth. We, as believers, we have wealth beyond our wildest dreams, but it's not this side of the glory. It's not this side of heaven. Part of it is. There's, there's a certain, you know, we have fellowship and things, but when we look at, you know, the wealth and the riches that these people are after, it's not down here. Because what does it say earlier on about the seed that falls among the thorns? What happens? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes it out. Well then, well then how come that now I want to go out and be a minister so I can tell people about it and then they say I can't. You can't be a pastor but you can certainly be a witness. There's nothing wrong with that. I know, you want to be a woman. Yeah. Oh, okay. I won't hold you back. I'll let you go. Oh, in verse 53, when Jesus finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them there in the synagogue, so they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary and not his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get these things? And they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, his own household. And did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What happened? Jesus showed up in the hometown, and immediately, what are they doing? They take him apart. Wait a minute. We grew up with this guy. What makes him so special? A prophet is not without honor. Yeah. Well, one thing they couldn't do was bring up anything he did in his past. No. He didn't do anything. No. So, so the, what does that actually mean about the prophet is not without honor? Because I know we're getting it interpreted wrong. Yeah. He basically said the prophet is without honor in his own country. What does it mean by that? Well, what, what gives a prophet a certain level of awe, a certain aura of awe about him? He's speaking the word. He's speaking for God. Christ spoke for God, but what was he to these people? He was just, just a carpenter. carpenter. He was that kid I grew up with. What makes him so special? They couldn't get past a person to hear the message. But yeah. the thing of this too. He was just he their home. Doing things like other kids. When when you when you see kids nowadays that's not doing things yeah. that doing something special. Now I have to say my pastor's little boy is only four years old. He can sing a whole song. He can pray. He can read a devotion. He can play the drums at four years old. Now he's not known. I'm, I'm, you know what I'm saying? He, he's really different. Yeah, for sure. So how can people then, you can see a difference in yeah. a child. What they did is they could not understand what made Jesus so special because they were familiar with him. I'm familiar with this child, but, but I still have to see what he did. I'm, I know, but they... Blame me for no other reason. Than for the miracles that I've done. But they would not believe. This is this, and here's the thing, understand. This is not doubt, this is unbelief. Okay. You know the difference. Doubt and unbelief. Yeah, they didn't believe. What is unbelief? They didn't believe. In spite of facts. Facts. Yeah. No. It's 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 a decision. I will not believe. What makes a person an evolutionist? They refuse to believe the evidence in front of them. They refuse to believe it. They will not believe. It's a decision. Doubt is, I want to believe, I'm just not sure. Unbelief is a settled, firm refusal to believe in spite of the evidence. What was Israel's problem in the wilderness? Let's see. God, talks, God destroyed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. He destroyed Egypt. He destroyed the economy of Egypt. Um, he brought us out here. Yeah. We saw the smoke on the mount. We saw the tablets. And, um, you know, I think he brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness. 
There was unbelief. They were not going to believe in spite of what happened. And this is the thing. Here's the thing to understand. We get this idea, and this is the charismatic idea. If we can just show somebody a miracle, if we just do a sign, we just do a wonder, people will believe. No, they won't. That's right. They won't. Look at Christ. Give me a reason to believe. He just raised this widow of Nain's son from the dead. They're taking a guy out to bury him. And he stops him and he gets him off the beer. Here's a guy who didn't have an arm. He walks away with an arm. Here's a guy who's been blind for his entire life. Here's a guy who's been sitting on a pallet for 38 years. What do you mean? They refuse to believe. Look, just because you... And that's the problem with the charismatic mindset here that says, if I can just do a miracle, if I can do a sign, if I can do a wonder, if I could heal somebody, people will believe. No, they won't. They'll flock for the miracle, but when it comes to the cost, they're going to head for the doors. It happened with Christ. Christ had all kinds of followers following him in, in John 8. Whole crowds following Jesus. And they started saying, look, if, you don't, if you're not willing to take up your cross daily and follow me, forget it. And said, and many of his disciples walk no more with him. What happened? They're not going to pay that price. Well, I want the goodies. I want the free food. I want the lunch. I want the, you know, as long as I think this Jesus is going to be the Messiah, you know, it's good to hang around with him because, you know, that could do me some good in the coming kingdom. But as soon as Christ started talking about the cost, See ya. And you know what? When people do that and they abandon, don't feel bad. Well, feel bad that it happened to them, but you got to understand it. They're just showing what they really are, right? What was Judas? What was he really? Was he ever a believer? No. He wasn't. No. What was he in it for? The money. There are people that come to your church because it looks good. Or because, or because uh, they think that somehow, you know, why? Well, when I stand before God, it's better to tell Him I go to church than I never went to church. So I'll go to church. Look, it's all the wrong reason. Christ saying, if you're not willing to to forsake all and follow me, you are not worthy of me. Then what's interesting in chapters fourteen through eighteen here? If you look at it, we have illustrations of the soil. You got a John the Baptist here. What was Herod's problem? Hard, hard stony ground, right? And then Jesus fed the 5,000. What was their problem? Shallow. Shallow. As soon as the heat comes up, as soon as it gets a little hot, they're gone. They're not, they're not going to stick around. They're not going to hang around. You got the maniac at Gadara, or the, the people, not the maniac, but Jesus heals the sick in Gennesaret. You have people that come and want them. And then chapter 15, you have the Pharisees and scribes. What are they? Hard, stony, hard ground. Then you have the faith of the Canaanite woman in chapter 16, or 15. She came and asked him to heal her daughter who was suppressed by a demon and Christ said wait a minute it's not fit to take the food for the children and give it to dogs said, yeah but even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall and Christ was amazing he said great is your faith now that it's interesting that's what he said to the Gentiles the disciples were the oh ye of little faith gang this woman had great faith what kind of soil is she good soil, good soil. she brings forth fruit then Christ feeds 4,000. 16, and you have the Pharisees and Sadducees, what? Demanding a sign. Then you have Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ. And then it says, in, let's go to 16.24. Jesus told his disciples, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? If any man come after me, let him deny himself. It's the end of you. If you're not willing to abandon all, if you're not willing to give up yourself, then what does Christ say? Go away. I don't want you. See, here, here's the thing. If we want to be reconciled to God, He's the one that sets the terms. Right. Not us. The guilty party has no say in it. Yeah, we have the, and that's the problem with most of us today. We have this idea, most men today, most people today, think that they have a right to be reconciled to God on their terms. Well, I'll just do this and God will accept me. No, he won't. You don't come to God on your terms, you come to God on his terms. And Christ said, I'll tell you what, I got the infinite riches of eternity, what you need to do is take off your rags and give up your stuff and leave it all and you can have it. And people say, no, I want my rags instead. If there's anything Christ said in his ministry, it was, you have to abandon all to follow me. They're going to spend eternity enjoying fellowship with God, which is going to be a wonder beyond their human comprehension. If they do, they're going to love every minute of it. It'll be a time of fellowship. Think it would be like to sit down with the Apostle Paul and finally find out what he meant when he wrote this stuff. <clears throat> And he sat down and said, good night. You know, we've been going at this conversation for a hundred years now. Were there references again to that about meeting with, you know, after in heaven? Like, references somewhere in Scripture. I know I thought there was something somewhere in relative to He says you'll be known as you're known. Yeah. Known as you're known. Think of, think of being in eternal fellowship with perfect people and just enjoying the fellowship of that. And if nothing, being able to talk to God. You know, you talk about uh, you know our genetic lineage. Imagine following back your your uh, salvation lineage. Yeah. Going to the person that helped lead you to Christ, and to the person that helped lead them to Christ, all the way back to Jesus. Mm -hmm. That would be something. Mm -hmm. I would encourage you yeah I would encourage you to look over the notes on the conflict with the Pharisees um, it basically traces all of Christ's conflict and by the way there's a new there's a book out that John MacArthur did called the Jesus you can't ignore very good book called the Jesus you can't ignore and it basically traces Jesus confrontations with the Pharisees and their hypocrisy so we'll leave it there and uh, two more classes I'll have your exams next week I'll have it written up and Take home, as usual. Any comments or questions or anything? It's been a good class. Now that Gary's all wound up and he can't go home and sleep. I tell you, that's something that gets me wound up. Yeah. I, 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 I'm going to be honest with you. I have felt this call to preach those messages. Also yeah. Well, the message, the message that we are called is to call men to the kingdom. And I love it when you do things in a series. Yeah. So you can follow along. 
Well, it's better than that uh, topical preaching where you never know where the pastor's going to land this week. Right. Yeah. And usually the text he uses has no bearing on what he's actually preaching. And, and so. the thing of it is, and I know that a lot. And it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for tonight, for teaching us, help us to remember this stuff. Father, in a way, all of us have given up all that we have for all that you are. We may not have been technically called upon to do that, but I would hope that all of us are willing to abandon all. After all, all of our riches are nothing anyways. Someday it's going to go to the great bonfire of 1 Peter 3. We're to seek first your kingdom, lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven, not here. Father, we thank you for saving us and making us part of your kingdom. And I thank you for that day, Father, when I bowed my knee to Christ and acknowledged him as my Lord, my Savior, and my Thank you for saving me. Thank you for this time of fellowship that we've had together over your word. Help us to ponder these truths this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.